Let's get it. Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. I had a challenging time, but I learned a lot. So, if you listen to our last couple episodes, including that long-awaited bonus, you'll know that a lot was going on around here. Uh, our 9-11 episode, the 2019 Military Influencer Conference, putting together that bonus episode. On top of that, I probably had the busiest week for my VA home loan. I cannot tell you the value of a good... No. Great loan officer. I can't tell you the value of a great loan officer. So my wife, the contracts analyst, and I signed the contract on our home months ago. Now, you have to do that before getting a loan as you can only lock in a rate 30, sometimes 45 days out. And you can't do that unless you sign a contract and start building the house. So when the time was right, and for us, that was winter, We signed the contract in a month that gave us a lot of construction and design credit. It was about $24,500 total. $2,500 of it went to design. The rest went to construction, to which I'm going to use to finish out the basement, leave the in-laws basement, and create a studio in the much nicer confines of the party barn. That's what we've been calling our home. Long story. So fast forward, and we're now within the 30-day window to lock in our interest rate, right? Which are ama- which interest rates are amazing right now. And I took a page out of our episode 150 and started having lenders compete against one another. I found a great rate. All good, right? Not so fast. My builder said that it wasn't one of the three preferred lenders that the builders use, that that builder uses, ergo... I lose that $24,500 credit. My wife and I were stunned as I thought that the preferred lender agreement only applied to the $2,500 in the design credit. My wife especially. You know, she's the contracts analyst and she was pretty disappointed in herself. So I called my loan officer and I told him the situation and I get it. The builder wants to ensure that closing is done on time and they develop relationship with certain lenders to ensure that. So I called the loan officer and I told him the situation. That loan officer directly called the home builder and smoothed everything out with an agreeable solution that looked out for my best interests. I get to keep my rate, get to keep my lender, and I get my credits if I close on time. So I say all of that to say this. Next week, I'll be in Hawaii. And I've had that plan for a while. This isn't because of all this. You know, when we booked that trip, I didn't know why we were going to Hawaii two weeks before we closed on a home, but now I get it. It's probably, there's probably not a more peaceful place in the world to be the most stressed out, if that makes any sense. All right, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Great, great feedback from the 9-11 episode, and I'm glad for it, because if you listen to that opening monologue, you know that I wanted to get that one right. Some great comments on Rally Point. Oh, and by the way, don't know if I didn't tell you guys yet, Born the Battle is now syndicated on both the command post section of Rally Point, and we are also syndicated by We Are the Mighty. And many thanks to both for that. 
but some great comments on Rally Point and on our blog at blogs.va.gov. Uh, everyone was sharing where they were on that fateful day, and it was nice to see the interaction between everyone, especially on that blog. Now, we haven't done news releases since the week prior to the 9-11 episode, and I've got a lot for you. I'll try to go as quickly as possible, but there's some good stuff in here for you. So this one says, for immediate release, VA to award more than $30 million in new grants to support formerly homeless veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs will award $30 million under the new grant, Grant and Per Diem program, October 1st, to 128 organizations to provide wraparound supportive services to veterans who were previously homeless or at risk of losing their housing. The GPD, Case Management Grants, improved housing retention among formerly homeless veterans by providing an array of individualized services that promote housing stability. And there's a quote by the by the secretary, and then it says, the GPD case management grant program, uh, mouthful, funds community organizations that provide these veterans with resources, referrals, and services such as home visits to monitor their tenant responsibilities. This can include help with managing finances, using public transportation, planning meals, and more. The grants were open to applications from organizations in all 50 states the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. A list of grantees is available at www.va.gov forward slash homeless forward slash gpd dot asp. VA also recently renewed $2.4 million for 11 GPD special needs grants to fund operational costs for community organizations that serve the most vulnerable veterans. To learn more about the case management and special need grants available through the Grant and Per Diem program, visit www.va.gov forward slash homeless forward slash GPD dot ASP. All right, we got more on homeless. Uh, this one says for immediate release. Federal agencies partner to expand employment reintegration grants for homeless veterans or those at risk of homelessness. The U.S. Department of Labor, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness collaborated in August to successfully roll out the recently expanded Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program, the HVRP, which will help more than 18,000 homeless and at-risk veterans secure meaningful employment and stable housing. HVRP grants in excess of $48 million were awarded to 149 community organizations. And I think I read that uh, a couple months ago. The recent legislation expands program eligibility to include veterans who, upon enrollment in HVRP, were homeless at any point during the preceding 60 days but have found housing. Veterans participating in the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, VA Supportive Housing Program, the Tribal HUD, VASH, or VA Supportive Services for Veteran Families Programs. The recent legislation expands program eligibility to include Veterans who are receiving assistance under the Native American Housing Assistance and Self-Determination Act of 1996, and veterans who are incarcerated or who were transitioning from incarceration. Through HRVP, eligible veterans receive unemployment training, transportation, professional clothing, apprenticeship opportunities, on-the-job training, as well as job search and placement assistance. VA can also help these veterans access medical care and permanent housing through a partnership with HUD. Then there's a, 
a quote from the Secretary of Department of Labor, and then it says, the collaborative effort between VA, DOL, and the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness includes informational sessions and webinars for grant awardees, VA staff, and community partners to learn how to improve employment outcomes for eligible veterans using these programs. The grants were awarded to nonprofit organizations nationwide, such as state and local workforce investment boards, tribal governments, and faith-based organizations. Another quote from the uh, Interagency Council, and then it says, HVRP is the only federal program that focuses exclusively on the employment of veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. Initially authorized under Section 738 of the Stuart B. McKinney Homeless Assistance Act, HVRP and its companion programs are currently authorized under Title 38 USC Sections 2021-2021 Alpha and 2023. Visit www.dol.gov forward slash agencies forward slash vets forward slash programs forward slash HVRP to learn more about HVRP. To learn more about the VA Homeless Programs Office, visit www.va.gov forward slash homeless. You can also listen to the benefits breakdown that Tim did in our archives. All right, so I know the next one's a little bit late. This was actually released September 3rd, but due to the timing of the episodes and the September 11th, finally getting to this one, and I apologize for that. This one says, for immediate release and observance of Suicide Prevention Month, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and Closures Veterans, community leaders, co-workers, families, and friends to hashtag be there to help prevent suicide by being present, supportive, and strong for those who may be going through a difficult time. As part of this approach, VA is closely working with the White House and other partners to implement the president's roadmap to empower veterans and end a national tragedy of suicide. And there's a quote by Secretary Wilkie um, this September and all year. I encourage everyone to take a moment to be there for veterans in need. One act of thoughtfulness can make a big difference and may even save a life. The Prevents Roadmap, initiated by an executive order signed by President Trump in March of 2019, will serve as an important tool for promoting research, community, community engagement and collaboration in the public and private sector, and ultimately for ending veteran suicide. Suicide is a complex national public health issue, no kidding, that affects communities nationwide with more than 6,000 Americans dying by suicide every year. To brothers and sisters, suicide is preventable and special training is not needed to prevent suicide. Everyone can play a role by learning to recognize warning signs, showing compassion to veterans in need and offering support. Listed are actions anyone can take to be there. Reach out to veterans. Learn the warning signs of suicide found on the Veterans Crisis Line website. You can watch the free save training video to equip yourself to respond with care and compassion if someone you know indicates they are having thoughts of suicide. And you can Google that. I've, I've, I've tried it. It's S-A-V-E, all with dots in between. Uh, reach out to veterans to show them you care. Send a check-in text. I do that I do that for some of my, my friends cook them dinner, or simply ask, how you doing? Check out VA's social media safety toolkit to learn how to recognize and respond to social media posts that may indicate emotional distress, feelings of crisis, or thoughts of suicide. That toolkit actually has a lot of really good information. Contact VA's Coaching Into Care program when worried about a veteran or loved one. A licensed psychologist or social worker will provide guidance on motivating your loved one to seek support. Learn more about the hashtag Be There campaign and access resources to help support veterans at BeThereForVeterans.com. It's all one word. 
Veterans who are in crisis or having thoughts of suicide and those who know a veteran in crisis can call the Veterans Crisis Line for confidential support available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Call 1-800-273-8255, press 1, or you can text to 838-255, or you can chat online at Veterans Crisis Line, all one word, dot net forward slash chat. All right, we're going to keep rolling here. A good story that I think needs more attention. This says, for immediate release, VA distributed video tablets delivers telehealth to veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs was recently recognized in studies by two independent peer review journals, the JAMA Open, that's J-A-M-A, and Psychiatric Services, for efforts to deliver trusted, easy access, and high-quality online healthcare services to veterans with complex healthcare needs or residing in remote areas. The department's tablet program will enact all VA care teams to deliver telehealth by 2020 through the VA Mission Act. Then there's a quote by Secretary Wilkie talking about how important the telehealth technology is to VA. And then it says, according to the JAMA Open Study published August 5th, VA's initiative to distribute video telehealth tablets to high-needs patients appears to have successfully reached veterans with social and clinical access barriers, including veterans in rural areas and patients with mental health conditions. A study published by Psychiatric Services on August 5th validates that the initiative also appears to improve access and and continuity of mental health services of veterans with mental health conditions. Furthermore, researchers discovered that VA's efforts are improving clinical efficiency by decreasing missed opportunities for care. To learn more about telehealth opportunities for our veterans, go to telehealth.va.gov. One more. This is on the uh, uh, electronic record health solution that we talked about a couple episodes ago. For immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently launched an innovative new training program to support its electronic health record modernization or EHRM effort that, as of September 12th, had selected 76 trainees who have begun projects that address real-world VA healthcare challenges. The new EHR solution will be the single source of veteran health information. Its advancements will allow users who solve a problem at one facility to share the solution with other facilities in near real time. The VITAL program, the VA Innovative Technological Advancement Lab, which is a 12 to 18 month training series develops both the technical and supporting change management skills necessary to de- necessary to di- to drive greater efficiency and effectiveness in all aspects of veterans healthcare. VA identified key clinical and frontline staff who require advanced training to ensure smooth EHR EHR modernization, implementation, enhanced functionality and support continuous performance improvement. Ah uh, In May 2018, VA awarded Cerner Corporation a contract to replace the department's legacy patient record systems with the commercial off-the-shelf solution currently being deployed by DOD. A single interoperable solution across VA and DOD will will facilitate the secure transfer of active duty service members' health data as they transition to veteran status. This modernization effort will create a lifetime of seamless care for service members and veterans. Again, I remember this coming out. A couple months ago, and I, me- I remember saying I wish they had it so I didn't have all that dang paperwork I had to scan. For more information about VA's electronic health record modernization program, visit www.ehrm.va.gov. All right. This week's interview is an Army veteran. And as you're going to hear, his transition back to civilian life wasn't easy. 
It involves addiction, PTSD, among other things. But things turned around for him when he became a father, for a time. He channeled his work ethic into becoming a lawyer. He was initially on track for corporate law, but during his divorce, where his past came back and was used against him, he realized that there was no advocacy for situations like his own. So, our guest sacrificed a potentially lucrative career in corporate law and decided to focus on reuniting veteran families. He is Army veteran Nathan Goncalves. Enjoy. Nathan, thanks for reaching out to, I don't know who you reached out to, but, uh, but my leadership said that, uh, Hey, we got a guy that wants to come on the show. And this was the story. I said, yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, I mean, basically what had happened was, uh, I met deputy secretary, uh, uh, Jim Byrne at UCLA when I was still in law school, he was general counsel for the VA. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and so he, at the time he was general counsel, I was at UCLA law. That's where I was in law school. And he had uh, agreed to kind of come and speak to the veterans legal clinic. It was a group of about 10 law students and some law professors that were doing some veteran outreach stuff with, uh, you know, helping veterans do benefits upgrades and, uh, discharge upgrades and some benefits work. Yeah. And uh basically, you know, he kind the poor guy got kind of ambushed, man. <laughs> and he was, uh, it I'm was sure. Yeah, it wasn't exactly the most uh VA friendly crowd. Um and oh, so really? Well, yeah, just because I mean most of the experience for them as non-veterans or non uh, you know, service members was just they're battling with the VA legal process in terms of doing filing appeals and doing this. And so like their idea okay. of this is kind of like the VA is like the big bad kind of, un, uh, under, you know, not really understanding the process, just kind of that's the foe in their legal battle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he got kind of ambushed a bit and, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted you know i kind of wanted to kind of help him out a bit and and, and so i i said i i raised some raised my hand in the group and kind of just said you know um for all the va does wrong because it's not without any without any fault you know it's it's every an organization that size is bound to have some hiccups but uh yeah you know, the va gets it right a lot a, a lot of the time too and you know i kind of uh, shared my story with him and said you know if it wasn't for the va i wouldn't be here in this seat so i'm extremely appreciative of the work you do and stuff and um, I think he kind of just appreciated maybe the lifeline that I threw him. In. <laughs> <laughs> we don't all hate you. We don't all yeah, hate you. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how this whole thing came full circle. Anyways, uh, uh, you know, deputies, uh, you know, Jim, Mr. Byrne, I don't know the official way to address him, but, uh, but you know, Jim, Mr. Byrne dude is just fine right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I'm kind of enjoying that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, so, you know, we actually, we emailed again yesterday. We speak about once a week once every two weeks and uh you know uh i got my story's been kind of passed around uh secretary wilkie just did an op-ed with my story and and he, he kind of used my story in a speech about the 75th anniversary of the va and anyways this is a really long-winded answer to that's how i ended up with you is because i've kind of made friends with uh with deputy secretary uh Byrne and um you know my story has been passed around a bit and that's how 
that's how kind of we got here. Just throwing out a lifeline during a during during a murder session. Yeah, man. And then it ended up being a fruitful Very. kind of you know, I, I actually view him as a personal friend and, and a mentor of mine in the legal profession and, and just kind yeah, of it's, it's he's very he's very approachable once you get to know him. I mean, once you do, you know, if you just say hi to him, he's very you know with him I feel like you can almost like go to his house and borrow his lawnmower. Yeah, you man, know? he's, he's yeah. a dude. He's a dude. Yeah. He's, he's a Marine. He's, uh, you yep. know, he's, he's a dude. He likes to, he, you know, when I came to DC, um, I did a, I did a fundraising speech for the project that I'm with now. And, uh, I was there for a few days with my son and, you know, he brought me up to, you know, his office and we just, we just shot the shit, man. Two dudes hanging out talking and, and it was, uh, it's a fun time. He's an extremely, uh, humble and generous man with his time and willing to give you his time. If, if you want to just talk. Absolutely. Well, enough about him. Let's get back to what you what we're here for. We, you know, you mentioned, uh, you shared your story. So let's get into your story. Um, We'll start off with the same question we ask every veteran is, uh, why did you just decide to join the service in the first place? So, um, you know, I joined a little later, I guess, than what a lot of people would. I, I, I don't know if that's statistically true, but I joined about 23. I was 23, I think, when I joined. And, um, you know, I wish I had this great, like, call to duty, you know, like, story where I felt like it was, it was my time to serve the country. And... Um, you know, essentially what had happened was I was working, at, uh, working at a local gym and kind of just, um, you know, I was partying and having a good time and not really doing a whole lot with myself. And I literally woke up one morning feeling awful after kind of a late night of having fun and drove down <laughs> to the recruiter station. I was like, I got to fix my life. I have to do something with myself here. What do you, what are my options? And he was like, Oh, we got the, we got this quick ship bonus, man. If you leave in like three weeks, you get 40,000 bucks. And I was like, all right, that's the one I want. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I signed it and then I went home and kind of like, well, what did I just do? And well, I'm I, you know, Camaro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in between there, there was obviously like the, the MEPS process and taking the, yeah. the appropriate tests and things like that. But yeah, man, between the time I walked in the recruiter and the time I left, I think I was, I think by the time I signed and the time that I was at Fort Benning for basic training, I don't know if it was much more than a month. Um, it was all really quick and I got, you know, I took the bonus and kind of, kind of ran with it. And that, that's how I ended up, uh, you know, in the army. What'd you do with your bonus? Got to hear it. <laughs> I mean, it's well, the part they don't really tell you is that it's paid over the term of your contract. Right. So like, Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm gonna get 30 G's and I was going to buy something stupid. Who knows? Like probably like a Dodge challenger or something like whatever, <laughs> like, like, so, like something, you know, something that, 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 that wouldn't be a wise financial decision, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, it comes spread out over the years. So I probably made four really bad $5,000 decisions instead of like one, <laughs> instead of one large uh poor financial decision i couldn't tell you exactly what i bought but i can assure you it wasn't financially uh it wasn't a financial prudent yeah yeah that's for sure i can, I can tell because like if it comes in five thousand dollar installments and you can't tell me one of the purchases it tells me that you what you didn't buy really anything yeah no, that's 100 percent. there's zero to show for that bonus is the oh answer. that's <laughs> awesome i i got i got one bonus and three enlistments in the marine corps and it was uh the one year that they handed everybody out 
10 G's for just reenlisting like beside, cause in the Marine Corps, you don't really, they didn't really offer you much of a bonus on that first enlistment. They offered you bonuses if you reenlisted, especially okay. in MOSs that needed, uh, needed, needed bodies. So this year they just said, Hey, everybody, if you reenlist, you get 10 G's. And, and some MOS has got more based on the MOS on the job, but, yeah. uh, mine didn't have any kind of bonus. I was lap moving. So I was changing jobs. Didn't get a bonus, but except for the 10 G's, I was fine with it. I was like 10 G's, you know, I was like 21 <laughs> years old, 20, 20 yeah. years. Old. So I know exactly what I do with that. I invested in some memories. I took a trip from Seattle all the way to San Diego with my best friend. And I'm telling you, it was $200 bar tabs every night. Yeah, it was nice. hotel rooms like at the Hilton yeah, in downtown. Uh, we bought suits in LA. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's funny because you're the first person that, that's really talked about a bonus. And it's the first time I've been able to really uh, get asked that question. Like, what did you do with your bonus? Because I remember what I did with my bonus. Definitely invested in some memories. You know, what's funny is that it's like a universal, you know what I mean? Like the story that you told, <laughs> like every 21 year old, you know, that, like that, that kind of be like, yep. You know, I, I spent $300 on some product sunglasses had a $500 bar tab and stayed at a $400 a night hotel. And, and then there was 2,500 bucks gone. So, <laughs> so, so that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I love that. Every, every veteran pretty much shares the same story when it comes to that. So you were, um, you were infantry, right? Correct. I was, I was with, a, yeah. with, uh, with a combat deployment. Yep. Yep. Where'd you go yep. to, where'd you go in Iraq? We were just outside of Beji. Um, where's that? It is up. It's like North of Tikrit. Oh, wow. Out there. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it now it's actually just a t it's the Saladin province. I, I don't know if I say that right every time I say it, but Saladin. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's it's a mess now. I mean, it's gone. Yeah, it, it's a complete disaster now. When we were there, it wasn't uh, I mean, it wasn't the hottest area the, the, uh, of, of combat action that was going on, but uh you know, it always kind of had just, it was a lot of, a lot of nothing out there. So there's like still a lot of, you know, just open space. Hmm. Um, so what year was that? This was, uh, 2008 to 2009. It was right when they, you kind of the tail end of the surge. Okay. Yeah. I was out there and all of saw it. It's funny. It's crazy to see all those places now when, when we talk about ISIS and we talk about what happened after, uh, we left and what you hear them on the news, like, you know, this ISIS is here. ISIS is there. It's like, man, we cleaned that place up. Yeah. Like <laughs> when we left, like it was functioning, you know, like it was yeah. uh, like even some of the nicer fobs, you know, like fob Summerall was, uh, uh, you know, we had a decent chow hall going on run by KBR it was a nice setup. And, you know, by the time, um, you know, the, the reports come out, it was, you know, ISIS had taken a lot of that stuff over. Even some of the, even like Spiker, I think, turned into an Iraqi uh, Air Force base, and there was a there was a giant. Uh, you know, ISIS had taken that thing over and and and, and puts you know all those uh, it, all those guys that had helped out with uh, the U.S. forces. I don't think fared too well. No, it's, it was just it's it's sad to see. Um, so while you were in, who was either a a best friend or be your greatest mentor mentor 
Um, I mean, I would think that like the best leader that I probably came across is, uh, you know, he was my platoon sergeant, Norman Paquin. Now he's a uh, command sergeant major, I believe. He's kind of stayed in and, and moved his way up, but he was, uh, you know, it's amazing my- to see that sometimes, right? With some of your buddies yeah. that were like, I remember you as like an E3 palling around you in our first enlistment and here you are you became the enemy you know? <laughs> yeah exactly exactly he's uh you know he i mean he's if you drew up a soldier and wrote down the qualities of what you expected in a soldier i mean that dude lives and eat breathes and leave, lives this stuff so um you know I, I, a lot. I yeah man he was he was uh he's He's everything that you'd want to embody in, in somebody that was going to make a career out of it. Um, and, you know, he's still doing it and he's leading soldiers. So it's nice to know that there's people like him that wanted to keep doing it because I know I didn't want to. Sure. And and, uh, and I'm and I'm, uh, you know, happy that that he's still doing it and proud to you know, still call him a friend and, 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 and catch up with him whenever we can. What's his name again? Paquin. His last name's Paquin. His first name's Norman. He's Command Sergeant Major Paquin now. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Good uh, man, good man. T- Nathan, talk to me about Easter Sunday, two thousand nine. Yeah, man. Um, so we were op- we were QRF uh, outside. We were at Fob, Fob Summerall operating as the QRF element, and um, there was some pretty gnarly sandstorms that had come in. And uh, you know, I think I don't remember the, what's the, the air was red or whatever the the term was that no birds were going up and there was a group Mm. of um, some VIPs that were kind of making their rounds uh, around the area and and checking in on all the, all the, you know, the fobs and and kind of doing their handshakes and picture tour. And um, we, they, for whatever reason, their timeline um, didn't allow for them to wait for the air to clear up. Mm. So we spun up QRF to escort them. Um, I don't know. I want to say it was probably about an hour north or 45 minutes north. It was a nice little trek. It was still inside the, the, the battalion AO. Um, and so we, you know, long story short, we spun up QRF. We took them there without incident. Um, while there, you know, we got to, we got to the, their drop off point, dropped them off, kind of, you know, grabbed a few snacks, re-upped on some water. And uh, and started heading back, and um, on the way back, we ran over a crush wire detonated IED, and um, you know that's kind of where that whole incident had had kind of unfolded. So you were hit with an IED. Your, yeah. Your 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 Humvee. We were in M wraps, and it was the M. It was the tail. It wasn't my my truck. It was the uh, tail element of the of, of the convoy. We were running four trucks. It was a skeleton crew because it was just supposed to be a quick escort. So we were just running kind of bare bones. Gotcha. And um, you know, we the the truck behind us. We kind of just, which is weird because it was a crush wire uh, detonated IED, which means three other trucks, you know, three other M wraps of substantial size and weight, uh, ran right over that and nothing happened. And, uh, you know, the truck right behind us kind of got it. And, um, you know, in that moment, you just see kind of like a flash, like somebody took a picture in your face and then, uh, you know, it feels like a longer time than it really is. But in the moment you, you get that flash and then all of a sudden you just feel the waves of, 
kind of the blast like pass through your body and then it's kind of like you're not really sure in that immediate following second like am i you know was i hit am i dead am i alive i don't know what just happened right now um and then once you kind of come come together and 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 realize the situation then you got to kind of you know kick it into high gear crazy so uh you in your correspondence with me before this interview, you talked about some of the men that were hit. Um, you talked about Brendan Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Brendan Morocco was the first quadruple amputee to survive in uh, the Iraq Afghanistan conflicts. You know what's interesting is I did a video on him back in 2010. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so at the time, uh, General Amos, uh, who was at the time, the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps before he became commandant, he did a video that I produced, uh, for a medical, medical consortium that he couldn't attend. And he talked about getting to know Morocco and his condition and why he supported what they were doing with, uh, I think they were doing transplants of of like arms and stuff. Arm transplant. Yep. How's he doing? I mean, do you still talk to him? I don't talk to him regularly. Um, You know, I mean, we were, I think there's like a tendency when something like this happens to, uh, you know, like Brendan and I were brothers, you know, we served together, but it's not like we were like the closest of friends in the sense that like we were together every single day and things like that. But, um, you know, we still update each other basically through social media is where we keep in touch now. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I think he's getting married. Uh, here pretty soon, but he seems to be doing well. You know, he seems to be doing well given given the circumstances and and, and everything that's happened. I think he's he's holding it together. That's awesome. Yeah, I, social media is a great great way for. I mean, you think about what what used to be like the reunions of of units and stuff to really catch up, and now with social media, it's just point click. Oh, cool! Yeah, there, like there you, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, in our previous correspondence, you talked about some difficulty coming home, both physical and mental. Um, what were yeah. some of the things that you were facing right when you got home, or, or you know? And then let me know, like, what manifested in like six months or a year after you got back? Like, what? Talk to me about that time. So when I first got back, there was some real struggles with. Um, so you know, I had. Uh, some some substance abuse issues that kind of I had picked up almost immediately coming back. I started drinking heavier than I had before I left. And um, I was also getting, you know, some form of oxy from the active duty for some of the pain relief of the the symptoms of I had fractured part of my spine and had some torn mm. shoulder stuff and things were just kind of it was it was just a, a kind of my body felt like it was deteriorating a bit and at the time I mean to give credit to the military and the VA and and um, you know the medical process I think there's been a, a shift away from the medication being the, like the, the, like the straight med. It's like yeah. the straight med treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's been a shift from that and I commend them for that. Cause at the time I think, I mean, I, and I don't think it was done for any reason other than they thought they were doing the best they could to make people comfortable. And yeah. so, um, so anyways, you know, the first, 
you know, we, you get back, you go on leave and it was essentially a lot of the story you told. I had 30 grand in the bank. I had a lot of free time. And, <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of people that there's a lot of people in Oahu that, that I, that I helped support for a few months. Oh, <laughs> Definitely invested in some memories. Yeah. Yeah. We invested in memories and, and then you multiply that by, you know, uh, uh were the enti- entire battalions on leave. So, so you have, you have a large unit of, you know, even just if you take the company element or platoon element, you know, there's a lot of us that were in Supporting our, the know, local economy. Very, very much so, you know, very much so, <laughs> very much so. Um, and so anyways, th- th- then it kind of came back to this part where we came back to work and I was really kind of struggling, you know, I was just trying, I didn't even, I, there was a point where I wasn't even sure if I, 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 I took my leave for a little bit off Island cause we were stationed at Schofield barracks, Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I'd come home for a little bit and was hanging out with family and friends. And, and honestly, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go back. Um, I was, I was heavily considering just kind of, uh, you know, not, not showing back up. Just going UA or AWOL, just not, yeah. not coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it goes to show kind of where I was mentally. I just like the consequences of whatever that may have been. I wasn't even like, I didn't even care what would have happened to me. I was just kind of at a point where I just, um, you know, I really wasn't ready to be back in that regimented lifestyle of, of of first formation and PT and, and, and this and that and weapons maintenance. And like, I just, I, I don't know that, I was there, but you know, ultimately I made the right choice and and I went back and I, um, and you know, I linked back up with my unit and I just kind of in and out had struggled a lot with, um, you know, the drinking and, and the medication. I think eventually they, they had, um, kind of caught on that there may have been some issues with the medication. And so I just kind of stopped getting prescribed that. And, um, I did the army substance abuse program and, and went through that whole, oh, wow. whole process. And, uh, you know, by the time I had left active duty, like went on terminal leave, um, you know, things were looking up in that sense that, you know, I had more or less cleaned up my act from that part that, you know, in large part, thankful to some of the leadership that could have gone one direction, you know, as, as, as I was, you know, coming out of the military, there was opportunity for people to maybe even pursue UCMJ action. And they yeah. chose to, um, you know, they chose to, to kind of give me an opportunity to have a better life and establish something when I got out. And so I'm thankful for the leadership that, that, that made those choices and those decisions to still allow me the opportunity to pursue some of the things that may not have been there. Um, had I gone, you know, had they chosen another route to deal with me. Gotcha. Getting out, were were some of these, were these the biggest factors of the reason you got out or were these just contributing factors? They were contributing. I mean, honestly, so the way this all played out, we were, we were, we were getting ready to start the training cycle to prepare to redeploy for Afghanistan. And, um, I had some very, very tough mental, you know, I was waking up in the middle of the night scared. I was, um, like we were still months out and I just had this, this, sickening feeling that like, I just like, I, I didn't want to go back to war. Um, yeah. and it just like, you had enough. 
yeah and it was just it wasn't for me and i'm i'm so thankful for the guys that do it over and over again and it's them and and it's you know like that's why a lot of times you know when i talk about my military story sometimes it's hard for me to talk about because i wasn't you know i even in our correspondence i highlighted look man like when it comes to military accolades or, or being soldier of the year like i'm not that guy but i did do my time and, I, and i'm thankful for everything and, and i'm honored to have served and um, absolutely i mean i mean nathan you raised your right hand man like yeah you, you raised your right hand you you volunteered you did do a deployment uh you know not all of us are going to be like gi joe you know uh yeah. most of us the vast majority are just going to be dudes who went when when asked or, or volunteered to go and came home and try to come on and try to get on with their lives so there's no there's nothing wrong with that you know uh so I, when you put that in there i was like I didn't even look at it. I was like, whatever, bro. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what everyone says too. And I do do my best to kind of, you know, I think especially each step of this way is kind of like, um, you know, each milestone or accomplishment that I reach, there's kind of this just like an imposter syndrome feeling each step of the way. And I just do my best to kind of, you know, remind myself, Hey man, you know, you've done, you did what you did and, and this is where we're at. But um, anyways, not to fully derail what, why I had got out. I yeah. was, um, you know, it, we were gearing up for Afghanistan. Um, I actually had switched platoons cause there was, it was clear that like, you know, there was some things going on with me that maybe they were hoping that it, a change of scenery would, would, um, help things out a little bit. And I just, gotcha. I mean, I had this disgusting feeling that constantly just, just weighing on me that, um, you know, if you deploy, you're going to die. And that's just what I kept feeling. And I kept dreaming it and I kept seeing it. And I was just like, you know, I just, and, and, and it was really hard on me. And so, I had an opportunity where some of the injuries and issues that I had that I had sustained were basically at a, it was at a crossroads where, you know, the medical facility was saying, look, you can either continue to deal with this and, and, and do some pain management and understand that you're going to be in physical discomfort every time you're out there humping a rucksack and, and running around, or, you know, we could explore the options of, of it's time for you to be sent to the med board and, and, and call it a, you know, call it a career. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I was presented with those options for one being in the infantry, if you're going to be in constant pain while, while lugging weight and, and running around, you know, that's, that's not fun. Yeah. That's, you it's know, not a good time, not a good time. And because, and because that's your job and that's what you're going to do the entire time. And, uh, you know, you, you combine that with the way that I, where I was mentally and what I, where I was feeling, um, I, it was time. It was just time for me to go. And so I, I, I started, you know, I, I, I kind of indicated that I'd like to pursue that option. And, and that's kind of where, you know, it, it all kind of started. And, um, you know, I stayed back as a rear D, a rear D element as the unit deployed and that, that had its own challenges. And, um, and then eventually I out processed and, and came back home to, to Long Beach, California. What were the challenges of being the rear D? Well, um, so actually the, the, the squad that I was in with the platoon, when I had decided when I switched platoons and assigned to a new squad, I was part of the weapon squad and I was the weapon squad driver. And actually while that unit was deployed, uh, four members of that squad were killed in an IED and the driver was one of them. And, um, 
you know, so it was, it was this moment where I don't know, you know, where people's faith or believings are. And it was this combination of guilt and just like oh my not God. knowing if I made the right decision or not. Cause I literally was waking up every night with dreams that had I gone to Afghanistan, I would die. And the yeah. person who was doing the job that, uh, that I would have been doing, uh, in fact was killed in action. That's got to be heavy on the head, on the heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, God. actually, that, that during that period was as was probably the heaviest of uh, my my substance abuse issues. That that's when it was there was there was quite uh, it, it was it was pretty heavy in terms of. Um, you know, the, the drinking was really heavy. The prescription medications were really heavy, and and yeah. uh, you know, it was it was a struggle during that time. I wasn't I wasn't speaking with my family. I wasn't. I was very, uh, you know, I was very. I, I was a hermit for the most part. You know, I'd come up. I think I did. They would have me do like four hours of staff duty or something daily on the rear D element, and I would, you know, I'd go do my four hours. I'd get off and I'd grab a, a fifth of Jack Daniels and go home and drink it. Jeez, you know it's uh. I admire, I admire you looking back and, and talking about it with, with such honesty, you know, it, that's something to be, that's something to admire really for, I, I think. Um, I think not to cut you off, just part of what I've, the reason I've chosen to look at this with honesty and, and approach this the way that I have throughout this whole process is that I know there's other dudes out there. And yeah. I know that there's other dudes that are struggling and I know it, I know it like because I see them and I talk to them and it's like, I don't want them to feel like you are, you know, that you're, that you're a turd because you struggled or that you're a turd because you felt weak or that you felt helpless, you know, like, I mean, there's, the, it's okay. And, and it can be, and, and there's life after that too. You know, and there's even if it feels like there's nothing happening or there's nothing on the horizon, there's life after that. That's right. You know, a, the military is such a small part of a person's life. You know, whether you do four years or 30, 30 years, you eventually got to take off the uniform. You know, you got to you got to move on with your life and you got to come up with new goals. So yeah. so so you got out. Um, uh, let's talk about those, those, those next set of goals for you. Uh, you got out in 2012, yeah. uh, which, which was, a. I think we were on the mend economically, but it was still a pretty tough time economically, uh, economically for a lot of veterans. Um, yeah. what was the, what was the transition like for you? So January, 2012, I, like officially came off active duty. I was already kind of home on terminal leave. And then, um, you know, thankfully, like you said, I think things were improving in terms of job outlook and, and economic viability and things like that. But, uh, you know, I had the, the post nine 11 GI bill is an absolute phenomenal resource, man. And I don't want to oh, sound yeah. like company man or that, you know, that I'm just propping it up because of, you know, but it is. Well, you don't work for the VA, so yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. get that straight. Like you don't work for the VA. You, you're yeah, not a company, exactly. man. You don't, you don't work for us. <laughs> and, so, and so, um, you know, it, it, it provided some stability and some viability for, for, um, you know, the, the economic sustainable, like where I could kind of stand and, and get my feet set when I got out of there. And so, you know, I, I got myself a little apartment in Long Beach yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I kind of was like, yeah, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I got paid BAH in college and I needed some BAH. So, uh, you know, so that's what I did. And, and, uh, you know, and and that's kind of how that process had started. Got you. Um, 
again, I, I'm keep referencing our, our previous email, but yeah. uh, when you were talking about 2012, you, you, you talked about started looking for advocacy and you found little to none. Um, now I know, but for the audience, what particularly were you, were you seeing and how did it determine your current career path? Well, you know, I mean, I think even between then and now, it's grown exponentially in the yeah. sense of the available resources and advocacy that are out there for veterans. And I'm thankful for that. But at the time, you know, I think one of the flaws that, that I did kind of discover in the process was that there was a lot of resources for things that were like, Hey, you know, we'll transition you from, you know, we got this program that can give you job skills as a mechanic or this or that. And it was like, and there's nothing wrong with any of those jobs. Most of them make more money than I do now helping, helping veterans. But it was like, there was kind of like this disconnect where, um, you know, people weren't helping Like, what about like veterans that wanted to, um, you know, get an MBA or get a JD or get, you know, and so there was, I, I kind of noticed this process that, that that part had had lacked a little bit. And that was one of the sides that I wanted to advocate for. But more importantly, there wasn't a ton of um, and there's still not there, there's not a ton of help on the family like legal component and the issues that veteran families face. This was about the same time you found out you were going to be a father, right? Or you were going to be a it dad? Was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, part of just the decision process making in my life has always kind of gone a little backwards. You know, we always put the, the carriage before the horse. <laughs> so my dad tells me all the time. And so. Hey, sometimes uh, you need inspiration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, three months into to getting home and, and barely getting back on my feet, uh, you know, I found out that I was going to be a dad. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I welcomed, welcomed the opportunity and welcomed the task and knew that things had to change and things had to change pretty quick, you know, yeah. cause I was still not necessary. I mean, I had made pretty strong strides and steps to, you know, this is already post army substance abuse program and kind of, uh, you know, more or less on, on, on your own. At- had got those demons kind of in check and I was on my own. And, but then all of a sudden you added the element of, Hey, you're going to be a father. And I knew at that point that it was time to really kind of kick it into gear. Hmm. So why attorney? Why, why, uh, is it a lawyer attorney? What's the difference? I, I never mean, know. I think so. I mean, you're, I, I, your guess is pretty good as mine to be honest, right. but the, right. uh, I think one is if you graduate law school, you're one. And if you pass the bar, you're the other. And I oh, don't okay. remember which the two are. I think attorney, you have to pass the, oh, I don't remember one or the other, but anyways, gotcha. I, you could use them interchangeably. Cause thankfully I've, I have passed the California bar. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah. And I thought, to be completely honest in full disclosure, one, I thought there would be a lot of financial security um, in pursuing a legal career. And gotcha. two, I thought it was the way that I could get, um, you know, kind of utilize my skills. Like I've always kind of been a strong, um, you know, like kind of writer and researcher in the sense that like, you know, if, if I feel like there's been something wrong or done, you know, I'll spend days researching every i kind of just felt like my skill set lent itself to that um and and that's kind of where i i leaned i and and i don't know whether it's you know irony or not because i always use that word wrong but i i personally (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't personally recommend that very many people go to law school. It's not, uh, you know, and then so I get okay. actually a lot. I get a lot of veterans um, from the community colleges that I had attended in my process and my 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 educational process. <laughs> And and they ask me, hey, I want to do this and that, and I say, hey, brother, I got your back, and and I support you one hundred percent. Make sure this is what you want to do because it's a long road. No kidding. <laughs> so so did you? You, know, you went to law school though, right? I did. I did. What was your What was your whole How What was your whole journey? Because GI Bill kind of paid for all of that. Now, did you no. also use Voc Rehab too? I did. I did. I okay. used GI Bill for undergrad, and then I used Voc Rehab for law school. I don't know if that's still. Uh, a viable option. I think it may be. If, I think if that's, if that's by the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe there was some at the time, I think maybe it was kind of sure if you want to go ahead. And, but I, I think maybe since then, uh, they're like, that's the same crew checks on. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think when they see like the $250,000 bill that comes at the end of a legal education, they're like, hold up, we got to figure something out. here." <laughs> got you. Um, so, you talked about passing the bar. Um, that wasn't the first time you tried the bar though, right? No, I'd failed one. So the, the whole process started, I mean, I started a community college down the street, man. And I, I didn't want to spend time. I met a few veterans and, and, there's this trap with the GI Bill and for everything that it's great for the post 9-11 GI Bill also gives a false sense of security to a lot of people. Mm. And so I spend a lot of my time when I speak to veterans that are just starting to use their GI Bill and just starting to use their benefits. You got 36 months, man. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. what this benefits intended to be. And if you use this as purely a BAH extension, you're going to end up with a bazillion credits of random stuff that mean nothing. And you're going to be out of benefits and you're going to have to go. And, and then it's, it's going to be hard to do anything with that. Yep. And so, um, you know, I came in with some, especially after finding out that I was going to be a dad, you know, I put on some laser for like, I, I was taking, I was attending three different community colleges so I could take two full-time course loads because I wanted to get out of community college as soon as possible. And I was taking like 30 something units a semester and bouncing school to school. Um, and, and I wanted, and I transferred to UCLA just after uh, in one year. Um, oh I wanted to get, cause I wanted to get out of there. I went from no credit to transferring to UCLA and just the one. So I cut an entire year off that process by doubling up the course loads. And, um, you, and know, you did I, that just so you can get through the tuition payment. Correct. Like, correct. Got you. Well, at the time I assumed I was going to be a new father and I didn't know Voc rehab was a viable option. So I assumed I had 36 months to get undergrad. Oh, you and as much as law school as I can get in before I had to finance this on my own. And I didn't want to straddle, you know, at the time I was still with my son's mom and I assumed that that was going to be the status, you know, that's, that's how it was going to work. And I just didn't yeah. want to be, I didn't want to start off our family with a ton of student loan debt. And Makes sense. So, so then I had even, I transferred to UCLA and I did the same. I took two full-time courses. I finished my entire undergraduate degree in under three years from start at community college to graduating from UCLA. It's incredible. Um, and, and so like, I mean, like I used to sleep in my car on campus cause I'd have out cause I just the hours of classes and, and stuff like that. And it was just, it, it was, it was a journey, man, but it was fun in the sense that it kind of showed that, you know, you, you, you can do it if you really put your mind to it. And anyways, I, I come to find out I graduated, I went to the VA, um, to the Voc rehab office and 
said, Hey, what's, you know, do, is there any options? Like, what are my options? How many months left do I have? And I met an amazing counselor. Um, you know, she's not with the VA anymore. Her name was Sandra. And mm. she said, well, you know, why don't you take this little test here? And if it kicks out that lawyer is, you know, whatever the list is, they give you, I don't remember the exact procedure, but you take some sort of examination and it gives you a list of, um, careers that I guess they, that, that would suit your personality and skill set. And if attorney pops up as one of the, uh, skills, you know, we can, we can talk. And so we did that and, and it all ended up working out and it was, it was pretty weird, man. Like within literally I had every, I was under the impression I was going to be paying for law school. And within like, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, I, I went and took the, the little test thing. I don't remember how long that took. And then I met with Sandra, I think within 30 minutes, I found out that I was going to law school for free and, 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 uh, well not free. The VA was paying for it, the, yeah. uh, but, yeah. uh, that the, that the VA was covering my law school and, and then I had, you know, other benefits, including a subsistence allowance and things like that. And, and so it was game changer, man. My life, that was one of the pivotal moments where, where this whole process was born and, 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 uh, you know, the, the VA and, and Sandra had, had like, it was in a 30 minute meeting. My whole life had changed. That's amazing. So you talked about, um, still being with your, your, is it a son or, or daughter? Yeah. Son, 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 you're still being with your son's, uh, mother. Um, but as I know, that's not the case now. How did you come up with your current practice? So, um, you know, when, when my son's mom and I had separated, it was not, uh, you know, a clean, not, not that very many breakups are very clean, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a smooth transition and we had, you know, so what you're we, telling me there was no PowerPoint and it was no yeah. like, Hey, you get this and you get yeah. this and I get, exactly. okay. Not, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure many relationships end that way. Yeah. And my, and <laughs> maybe, maybe accountants, maybe accountants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so, and so, um, you know, we had some issues and, you know, the, the, a big part of what I do now in the advocacy work and in, in, in trying to, to help veterans build their families back up and resolve these family issues is, is really emphasizing that, you know, you start slinging mud and everybody gets dirty, man, you know, like everybody. Yeah. So you go in there and you start, she did this, she does that. He does this, he does that. And you know, the, the judge has 15 minutes to look at your ju a judge has like 15, 15 to 20 cases that he sees daily. You know, mm -hmm. he see he's got about 15 minutes to read your case file, learn your whole family history. And he's about to tell you what's in the best interest of your child. Because you two that raised this child and know this child and had this child couldn't figure out. And now so stranger that had 15 minutes to learn your family history is about to make this decision for you. And so, you know, I try to emphasize the importance of trying to be civil. We were not civil. <laughs> in my, in my, and and both sides are to blame, you know, for that. And, you know, I take full responsibility for my for my role in that process. And, um, you know, basically what had happened, a lot of the stuff that I didn't really appreciate being used was the my PTSD diagnosis, my, uh, you know, some of the issues I had with, you know, anger management and substance abuse and all that stuff was kind of all this stuff came back. Correct. And we're talking you know, it's been at this point now, you know, my son was already 
almost three years. I was starting law school, wow. you know what I mean? So you're talking like I had already blasted through UCLA with a 3.8, like almost a 3.9 GPA. I had already, you know, been long. Like it was not that I didn't have issues sometimes where, you know, outbursts of, 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 you know, where I could work on my, my patience and, and, and exercising those skills. But like, we're talking well within the rearview mirror, you know, I was already accepted yeah. UCLA law. I was getting ready to start at the law school. I was working at the federal district court. And, you know, then all of a sudden all these, you things were, are- you were rolling. Yeah, man. And then, you know, I got sideswiped by this, you know, and they were like, even they had printed stuff that I had posted on Facebook and saying like, Hey brothers, you know, I'm a open call. If you ever need anything, I know the struggle I've been there. I understand when you get angry, I understand, you know, just kind of like things that in my advocacy work of reaching almost out. any veteran would say. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, they had all these things and, and it was just, it turned me off to the process. And then I realized how often this happens to people without the resources that I had, you know, thankfully I had an aunt with a little bit of money um, that she loaned me and, and I got to get, I got an attorney and, and we got a lot of that stuff resolved without it being too, you know, hitting too hard in the sense of the custody battle. You know, we ended up with our, a pretty standard joint 50, 50, you know, my son's with me half the time with, with her half the time. And, and thankfully both of us have matured and grown as, as, as parents. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we work towards making decisions that are, that are really in his interest and we work That's a good. lot better together now. So, um, but That's what awesome. I'm getting at is, is not very few of the people that I come across that need my help have that as a resource. You know, like they don't have an aunt, an uncle, a dad, a, a grandpa, a brother, a sister that they can say, Hey, I need, I mean, I spent 20 grand, man. Wow. You know, wow. I spent 20 grand to get what we could have got from, from day one. Had we just put our Talked. own personal, exactly. <laughs> just sat down and, and spoke and had a conversation um, you know, we could have, that's $20,000 that could have went to my son's college or could have gone yeah. to, you know, it could have gone to, to our son, whatever, our, our, on a, a family vacations, anything, but, but paying the attorney, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, amazing. so that's, and, and so I got a chance in the summer. So the way law school works is it's a three year program. Mm-hmm. And uh, each summer you work in the summer and that's uh, that's kind of how you build your legal experience for your resume into what you're going to be able to sell, you know, and say, hey, this was the experience I had to a firm or correct. Yeah, got yeah, you. Correct. And so the second year of law school, I worked at a family law. It's one of the better known um public interest family law firms. It's called the Harriet Buhai Center for Family Law. Okay. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually one of the first times where I felt really comfortable and on point with what I wanted to do. Cause I didn't start law school thinking I was going to do family law, you know? I mean, I yeah, you're probably to, thinking like law and order or ex- corporate well, law I, or I thought I was going to do corporate law. When I had, when I decided, like when I took the entrance exams and I enrolled in schools, I was like, oh, you know, I, I was still with, you know, Noah, my son's mom. And I thought we were going to do this thing where I was going to work 80 hours a week, make $180,000 a year. And, and, uh, you know, she was going to kind of hang out and, and, and take care of Noah. And, and that's kind of what the agreement and everything that we had worked out was going to yeah. play out. And then, you know, three weeks before 
law school starts, we separate. And I'm in, in my entire first year of law school, I'm entrenched in a custody battle going back and forth, spending $20,000. And, and not, not uh, only not, not, not only did you have resources of $20,000, a lot of veterans don't get, have that resource of like, Hey, I'm going to law school. You yeah, know, yeah, I, I, I have yeah. that resource as well. So, okay. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, so then anyways, after the second year of law school, I get, I, I, I went and worked at the Harriet Buhai center and for the first time, I was like, "Hey, man, this is something that I like. Like, I can do this. Like, this is I can I can see this working." And and so I talked with the executive director there, Betty, uh, and she we sat down and 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 said, "Like, hey, is there a way that we could kind of make this a viable option to provide services for homeless and low income veterans?" Um, and, and so we we hit the drawing board and we developed a project that we pitched to an organization in Washington D.C. called Equal Justice Works, hmm. and um, they 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 were all about it. They loved it, man, and they 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 sent me to a bunch of interviews with uh, big law firms around the country that agree to sponsor these type of projects, and. Nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> oh my god! So, so, so I think I interviewed <sighs> five, five or six different firms, and and uh, you know got got told no a lot. Um, and even even with uh, I mean, what was in your presentation? Did you have like a a way like, hey, this will eventually this is this is profitable, or is this like, hey, this is how it'll be funded? This is what I want to do. Like, what do you think was the reason that they turned you down? So there's a stigma. I think, you know, and, and I think it's pretty fair to say there's a stigma around family law and the legal profession. Um, the, it's just associated with, you know, kind of a messy, long battles that, and it's hard to quantify, like, it, it's hard to place a win on it, right? Like, so, like, say, at the end of a family law case, like if you had, if we were representing a veteran and we got him, you know, every other weekend visitation with his child and, you know, like, but it's like, is that a win? Like, is it not a win? Who knows? Like, so it's hard to. So Depends on the case. Exactly. Depends on the case. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of, but it's a much easier for those companies and those firms to say, Hey, this guy's homeless. He has no income. We got him an 80% rating at the VA. Bam win easy in out and done and so a lot of people wanted to be a part of the veterans project and a lot of people want to help veterans they just didn't want to do it in the family law capacity and so uh you know so we ran, and so we ran into some you know we ran into some some bumps but a lot of credit to equal justice works and the, and the people there they believed in me and they, they kept sending so usually this process you interview once maybe twice if you're lucky you get a second you get a second bite at the apple and i had gone to five <laughs> and, and and but they really enjoyed my project and they enjoyed me and they believed in what i was and i was doing and so eventually you must have something right so during your yeah. presentation like it was whether it be the passion or the or you know something they liked yeah, they believed in it, and I and I'm super thankful for them. And uh, eventually, they said, "You know what? The heck with it. We'll you you will fund you in house." And they did. You know, so I, wow. they ended up they ended up picking picking up the project, uh, and and so it's funded for two years. And uh, we did. Thankfully, we do. So it's called their text to give program. And I did. Uh, you know, that's when I was in D.C. and met up with Jim and 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 we kind of hung out. But we did a speech. You know, I I. I delivered a, a 
an, a speech to a room full of about 1500 people with, with some deep pockets and asked him to open up those pockets and, and put some money behind my message and my mission. And, uh, you know, we did great, man. We raised like 80 or $90,000. Oh my God. That's amazing. Have yeah. you, um, let's see, have you done Burbiz? Have you seen Burbiz? No, I haven't. So if you look into my uh, archives, uh, I did an episode on Burbiz. I just went to it on a whim. And it's veterans that are industry leaders. Uh, they had this pitch competition that was sponsored by a nonprofit called Street Shares. And they were given to whoever had the better pitch, they were giving out cash, like nice. 40000 50000 to to veteran entrepreneurs who were trying to, you know, I wonder, you know, being... It, it's it's a legal enterprise, not like maybe a. It's not like making a sauce or a backpack or something, um, but maybe you can enter in competitions like that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to like because eventually at some point there's gonna have to be a decision as to because right now I'm funded for two years and yeah. so and so the way that this kind of the logistics of it works is. The, Her the, the, the Harriet Buhai Center, the place that I had gone as a student, agreed to be like the sponsor and host me, host me for this project. So they basically provide all my administrative support, help me develop the program, outreach. You know, that's where my office is based out of. And, uh, you know, I have a team of, of amazing staff attorneys and leaders with I mean, you can't, I don't even know, hundreds of years of family law experience if you add it up there. So, they're, so they're basically funding your own practice for a while. Well, so equal, basically the way it works is equal justice works, pays my salary to, to the center. And then the center pays me the salary. Yeah. So is it, is it just for this, like, but so like your staff and stuff, they don't pay for any of that? No, the, the the center covers all of that. The center the center covers, um, you know, everything outside of my salary, basically, even my, my benefits, you know, my 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 health care and all that stuff. That's all covered by by the center. What what's the center again? It's the Harriet Buhai Center for Family Law. Oh, so the family law is paying for all your admin, all your health care. Yeah, but yeah, to get you, but, but not your salary. Correct. Correct. My salary comes from the Equal Justice Works organization. Interesting. In Washington, Interesting. DC. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And so, so, um, so yeah, look into Burbiz. Look into yeah, Burbiz. Um, there's the uh, Military Influencer Conference here in DC. Uh, has about 80 to 120 nonprofits that are going to be there. Um, take a look at that. Um, these are these are mainly, you know, veterans that are in, like I said, thought leaders, enterprise, content creators, especially with the, the MIC, the Military Influencer Conferences. You know, take a look at some stuff like that and maybe maybe you can network into some of there. Maybe there's funding there that, that you and I are not seeing. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, it's interesting that you brought this up because there's, I went to something, there's a, a veterans kind of consortium here and run by USC. Um, and they, they started a more local at a, at the County version where they're trying to, um, recruit veteran influence, if veteran influencers as a, and, and establish some sort of peer network or peer work group where, yeah. um, yeah. So that's kind of a, it's interesting that you said that way. I, I just had a discussion about this a few weeks ago. So now you're in practice, correct? Like you're practicing yeah, as yeah. of today. So, as of today. Uh, I know a couple, of course, like every veteran, I know, I know a couple of custody issues myself. So, uh, I'm not, you know, this is just going to be completely anonymous, but I, I did ask people, Hey, this is, I'm interviewing Nathan. This is what he does. Do you have any questions? So I got a, I got a couple for you. All right. <clears throat> let's, see we, let's see what we can do. Uh, 
this one, you know, this this case, they're not low income per se in a traditional sense. Uh, he's a government worker. He makes good money, but half of you know half of his retirement, half of his salary, half of everything goes to his ex wife who has full custody. Um, can he come and see you if he qualifies for your services? Yes. Yes. The short answer. Absolutely. Yeah. The problem is here. I'm restricted in the term because the host organization funds. So if we're talking hypothetically, yes, that person could see me. If we're talking in exact like situation, uh, the parameters are limited in terms of where the case is filed because there's jurisdiction issues and as to what I can actually do and where okay. if there's a pre-existing case as to whether or not I can you know accept it and give direct representation. Um, there's also you know, I mean, I'm as a complete side note, if anybody as a veteran that's listening to this or anybody, you know, or whatever, like I've had so much help from our community and I'll continue to provide help for our community. So if I can't give an answer to anybody who has questions, I'll find you somebody that can. Gotcha. So say the jurisdiction is in like Louisiana, but they're in California. Could they solicit you for advice? Yes, advice okay. I can give. Um, you know, uh, planning the case, giving a case plan, giving general advice. Absolutely, got Just you. If, if if the case, if if Louisiana has jurisdiction over the children, over over the over the the over that whole situation, then obviously, you know, you'd have to go file in Louisiana, which is something I can't do because I'm not licensed there. Got you. Are you the only one that does what you do, or would there be one in Louisiana? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, 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 in terms of exactly what I do, I would assume you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that does exactly what I do in Louisiana. But there are other organizations that do very similar stuff that may be willing, in um, you know, depending to the extent the assist, you know, like depending what's needed and what's what his desires are. Um, you know, that could help, you know, there's huge legal aid organizations that don't particularly have family law divisions or, or do family law, but yeah. it, you know, if it's something that's not extremely complex from a legal perspective, you know, some of those places might be willing to, to, to lend a hand. What are some of those, uh, places that we're talking about? Um, you know, uh, I only know the LA one base, but you have the inner city law center, you have, uh, the legal aid foundation of Los Angeles, but a more, you know, national ones are probably like public council, the ACLU. Um, but those groups are all part of a network that can, you know, they work with each other on a, on a national level. So if you get a letter from like, say, you know, from LAFLA and they say, Hey, this case would otherwise qualify for our services other than this jurisdictional issue. Is there a way that you can help them? That goes a long way in getting the organization to help. Okay. Okay. So you're only uh, offering services in California. So someone from Massachusetts can't say, hey, I need your help with my case in Massachusetts. Correct. Correct. Okay. And that's probably going to be, I mean, anytime you need legal help, that's going to more or less be the case. I mean, unless you're in a federal courthouse and there's federal gotcha. issues, but when it comes to legal services, you're going to be limited to where the person's licensed and where, where that person is, you know, practicing for the most part. Make, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's kind of a weird weird scenario. Uh -huh. um, I know a case where an active duty military member 
is the one with full custody and holds all the cards, uh, you know, per se, uh, to the detriment of the mother's relationship. Have you ever considered representing the other side, uh, any of the ex-wives, any of the ex-mill spouses, where they feel like they aren't getting a fair shake? Maybe 100%, if they're- 100%. If you are, absolutely. There's no, no question about it. If there was a spouse or, or um, a female, even a female veteran or, or a spouse of one of them or a spouse of a veteran, um, you know, if there's a veteran involved, I would absolutely, you know, kind of at, at the very least kind of. Uh, give some case planning and some case management advice in the sense that, um, you know, just having the knowledge base of this demographic helps to, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of the work and the help that I can give to veterans honestly, isn't even the, 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 the preparing the documents and filing stuff in court appearances. A lot of times, you know, someone just needs that they that that someone they can relate the, to the outline, the plan. Yeah, hey, what, what yeah. is where's my first step? And exactly. I think a lot. I, I think as long as you give someone a vision of like where they can go, um, you, it's it'd be a great help. And and it comes down to two, like you know it. There's a there's a lot of value in somebody that you relate to in terms of like you know a brother or somebody that you served with, and and you say, hey man, look, you just. You, you just you're in transitional housing you just you know you just finished rehab you just came off the streets you can't go in and file and ask for joint custody of your child yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. you, you, you i mean you can and the judge is going to tell you to leave you know because <laughs> and funny story yeah. next <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and so a lot of it is them being able to sit across from somebody that can say dude I've been in your shoes. I've been to the substance abuse program. I've been in court where all this stuff is the mud's being flung all over the place. I need you to be, I need you to come down to here. You know what I mean? Like I need you to, to you're not going to get joint custody in the first time you go file to modify an, a, 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 an order that you have a domestic violence restraining order against you. You have substance abuse issues. You haven't seen your kid in three years. Like we can't, there's steps that have to be taken to get you there. Yeah. And so a lot of it is managing those expectations and, and putting putting people in a position where they can make the, 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 you know, the successful changes they need to, to build a better relationship with, with their child and with the, the other parent of that child. But yes, I would, I would absolutely consider helping the other party. Um, because the reason I had kind of given that context is look, man, there's plenty of private attorneys out there that'll take your case and they will be a gunner and they will be hard and they will file for full custody for you knowing damn good and well that it's not going to happen. They know yeah. that it's not going to happen. They know the law will not allow it to happen. It's it, it just won't. And so what will happen is you'll pay five six thousand dollars as a retainer. It'll get sucked up for that filing where you're going in saying, "I want full custody. I want full legal custody. I want full physical custody. I want them to have monitored visitation. They can't see the kid without somebody else being there." And so they'll write all that up and they'll take your six grand and they'll give it to the court and. The, the you know you might as <laughs> well you. Bought, yeah exactly you, know, you might as well bought a lotto ticket because it's it's just, it's not going to happen you know and so part of what I do and and um my goal is, is to make veterans better parents to make better families to make better decisions with their children and and genuinely improve the situation and lives of the kids involved of the veterans involved and and the reason is is because this isn't just a family law project this is about veterans getting better. This is about veterans improving their overall life. This is about continuing 
the community reintegration to, to continue to grow and develop and and having i think all of that is based on a very strong foundation and family to me is is one of the strongest foundations you can have so that's why i support this mission and so anything i can do to help a veteran um or or you know an active duty member or or somebody that that puts their children in a better position and puts them in a better position i think you know that's something i'm willing to look at it's awesome it's awesome to hear Nathan, what's one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you're doing today? I mean, I think it's the it's the selfless service component of it. You know, I think um, having the idea and the notion that there's something bigger than you that, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be completely honest, my, my salary and my pay compared to my peers that graduated from the UCLA school of law is, mm-hmm. uh, is nowhere near what, you know, we're, t- we're talking leaps, you know, multiplying factors difference. Um, yeah. and, but, but that's not what it's about for you. I can tell. But that's not what this is about for me, and that's not what the, the, that's not what keeps me going, and that's not what makes me happy, and um, and so, you know, the the idea and the notion that there's more to this world, and that that, that there's more more than just you, you know, this uh, you know, take care of yourself first mentality. I think really is is toxic in some areas, and and so the idea that the, it means more, it means that that you know the. To, to do it for a greater cause and a greater purpose to me. Um, I think it keeps me going when I, when I see my friends in, in, in uh, Maui on vacation and I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, I'm yeah. still doing something good for the, for the world yeah. here. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nathan, how can veterans find you? You can find me. Um, I'll send you some links that you can find me on. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'll put on in the blog. Social- yeah. And I'm on social media. I, uh, you know, I don't, I get messages and emails. I'll give you my email too. Um, I don't know if you want me to do it on here. You just post it. I'll post it. Yeah. So, you know, shoot me an email if you need anything. I mean, I'm talking to anything, man. I'm just here for people that need, if, if you're having a hard time, if you're thinking uh, of, if you just need a voice, if, if it has nothing to do with family law and you just need, um, you know, somebody to, to bounce something off of, you know, please, by all means, give me a call. If you if you feel like you have no one, it, it's not true. You know, the, there's somebody out there. There's somebody that will listen to you. There's somebody that will talk to you. So you're never completely alone. And um, so to all veterans, I'll, I'll provide my contact information. And whether it's to, you know, to tell me that you hate your ex-wife or, to, you know, or, <laughs> or, that, or that, you know, you're having a tough time not drinking or whatever it is, man. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I can't obviously be, be, I can't wear all the hats for you permanently, but I can be the, yeah. I can be the triage and get you in the right direction. That's awesome. Are you, are you considered a nonprofit? I am. I am. Yeah. I work for a nonprofit. Gotcha. I do. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. Is there another nonprofit that, or, or a veteran in the veteran space that you think is that you're excited about with what they're doing? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the resources available to veterans Right now, I think it's it's an exciting time for veteran advocacy. It really all time high, all time high. It's at an all time high, man. It's and um and I'm I'm pumped about it, and I'm excited about it, and I I love seeing that that there's so many people that are willing to put some money behind it, and so you know there's some great organizations again for legal help. It's highly regional, so but 
the UCLA School of Law has an amazing veterans legal clinic that's run by Will Watts and Sunita Patel, two brilliant uh, attorneys that 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 you know could easily be making a bazillion dollars somewhere else, and instead they uh, you know they're they're helping veterans out there. Um, Inner City Law Center has an amazing veterans program. There's, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are just kind of doing a lot of work. You know, I, I tip my hat to the organization that's hosting me, the Harriet Buhai Center. They, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, is the center was built and centered around protecting women and children from domestic violence. And the, the executive director and the board of directors had to make a conscious decision to be willing to help veterans that are more often than not for my particular case. So may have made some poor decisions in the past that, that maybe domestic violence was actually perpetrated or, or things, you know, they made, oh, wow. they were in a hard kind of going against their core a little bit. Exactly. And they were willing to kind of stand up and take on this project when no one wanted to because they realized the value in, in, in what it meant for the family and what it meant for the children and what it meant for the veteran population. And so, you know, th they were willing to kind of host a, a project that was, you know, it's not an easy sell. It, 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 a, a lot of the, the cases that I see that come through, you know, obviously I can't re reveal details, but we're talking, they're tough, man. They're, they're not easy things to deal with. They're not easy cases to deal with with and um you know they've stepped up to the plate and and obviously equal justice works for um for sticking with me and if you look up we'll we'll post the link but the amount yeah. of work that equal justice works does for the veteran population is insane they they place so many attorneys in the in this space across the country you know so that's actually if there's veterans that need help with issues outside of, you know, Los Angeles, outside of California, um, I can look through my equal justice works resources and see, um, where there's other fellows placed across, uh, across the country kind of doing work. It might not be the same exact work, but you know, not everybody has the same issue. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Nathan, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked? I think it's important to share to our listeners. You know, I think it's important. And part of the conversation I always have is, uh, it, we, we briefly touched on at some point, you got to hang the uniform up, you know, it, it's time to, time to yeah. go. And, and I think regardless of what you did in your military career, right? Like whether you have a purple heart or a silver star or, or, or you did five combat tours or, or you did, or, or, or you never deployed or, you know what I mean? Like when it comes time to, to being a veteran and, and the sources that are available, you know, you're worthy. You, you, I, I don't care if, you know, if you made decisions that weren't spectacular within the military and stuff like that, but you know, you kind of reinforce what you said, like you raised your right hand and, um, you know, there's always somebody that's going to be like, Oh, well, you know, when I, and that's fine, but go out <laughs> there and get your VA rating, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, get your rating, do follow the process, use your GI bill. The, the, the VA is at an all time high in the services that are being offered and people like Jim and people, you know, like you know, these guys are, are out there and they genuinely want to help people. And so, but, but it takes a little bit of being proactive and it takes a little bit of reaching out. And I understand that people in different life circumstances and situations, that's easier said than done. But, um, you know, don't not go to the VA because you got, you know, you be, because you feel like since you you 
broke your ankle gearing up for deployment and never deployed, you're not worthy of your benefits. Like go get your services, go, go get what's available to you and, 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 um, you know, get that done. chose to be an outreach worker because of the fact that I've been there. I know what it is to be homeless. When I utilized my VI bill to get my house, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life because they helped me get a piece of the American dream. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov. I want to thank Nathan for coming on the show. And I want to thank Deputy Secretary Byrne for suggesting him. It was a great interview. And Deputy Secretary Byrne was confirmed this week as our official Deputy Secretary of Department of Veterans Affairs. Congratulations. For more information on Nathan's practice and contact information, visit www.equaljusticeworks.org forward slash fellows forward slash Nathan hyphen Goncalves. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is William Shuttleworth. The story comes by the way of the Daily News in Newburyport, Massachusetts. After joining a dozen friends and supporters singing a verse of America the Beautiful on Wednesday morning, William Shuttleworth donned his 25-pound backpack, grasped his two trekking poles, and took the first steps on a 3,000-mile walk across America. Shuttleworth, a 71-year-old Newburyport resident and Air Force veteran, is walking across is currently walking across the country in what he estimates to be a seven and a half month trek to talk with veterans and raise public awareness about the health care, housing, and economic issues faced by many who have served. His steps marked the official start of his trip. But Shuttleworth walked 20 miles or more daily, carrying his full pack on his back for months before starting his journey. In a recent interview with the Daily News, Shuttleworth said he was inspired to walk across America last year while working at a park in California where many impoverished veterans were camping out of desperation. He listened to their stories and learned many of them were homeless, struggling with drug addiction, and without any money for medical care. On his trip, he'll camp along the way hoping to meet and hear the stories of as many veterans as he can. He has a route mapped out, but he hasn't made arrangements for accommodations, aiming to walk about 25 miles each day, possibly meeting and talking with people who see his sign and ask about his journey. He plans to give talks to local groups, state and local officials, and others to create awareness of veterans' needs and will update his online blog along the way. Early on, he set up a GoFundMe page, with a goal of $25,000, pledging 85% of the donations to the Disabled Veterans of America and 15% to cover his expenses. For more about Shuttleworth and his journey, and to sign up for his emails and updates on the trip, go to Vets Don't Forget Vets. That's all one word. Vets Don't Forget Vets.com. Thank you for your continued service, William. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can just email us at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the born the battle veteran of the week. 
Next week, we'll do a benefits breakdown. One week early as our entire media engagement department has something in store for you on the first week of October. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. And follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on future week's episodes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Thanks for listening.